Well, we, we are so excited that you came to dive into God's Word, to worship God with us this morning. If I haven't got to meet you yet, my name is Matt Cordova. I have, I have the privilege and the honor of being the youth pastor uh, here at the church. And one of the things that I tell our kids every week is that every time we gather, whether it's here on Sundays or on Wednesdays, we, this is our goal. We want to grow with God. And we want to grow together. Like every time we get here, whether it's Sunday mornings or city nights or for youth Sunday mornings or Wednesday nights out at Cooper North, like our goal is to grow in our walk with God. Like we want to know God more. We want to learn uh, everything that there is to know about God. But we also want to grow together. There's a saying that says, if you want to go fast, go alone. But if you want to go far, go together. I believe God has called us to go as far as we can until Jesus comes back. So we gather to grow with Jesus and to grow together. Now, if this is your first time here, we have been going verse by verse through the book of Luke. I'll tell you a couple reasons why I love that. One is it challenges our perspective of Jesus, right? If you've been here the last four weeks, your perspective of Jesus has probably been like extremely challenged. Here's what I've learned. Most people... You, Jesus is all loving, like this all affirming, like Jesus would never step on anybody's toes. And yeah, that's not true. Like Jesus is loving and because he is loving, he steps on our toes. We need to understand that. Like he challenges things in our life because he loves us, to push us closer to him and to his father. The other reason I love it is if we want to look like Jesus, we need to look at Jesus. Right, I've got two little boys that live in my house, and one of my favorite things is I, I remember this. Bradley would try to put my shoes on because these were the shoes that he saw Dad wearing. Juju has been to my softball game, so now he terrorizes everybody with this plastic baseball bat because this is what he saw Dad does. They imitate me because their eyes are on me. The Bible tells us to imitate God as his children. So the easiest way for us to imitate God is to have our eyes on him, right? So if you got a Bible, open it up to Luke chapter 13, verse 10. If you don't, our notes are in our app. If you don't have our app, this is a great time to download that. You can get it in your app store. Just search the City Church Lubbock. And I'm going to tell you some background while you're doing all of that. Jesus has said some really tough things over the last four weeks. For example, he warns us of his second return. He basically says, hey, the master's going to a bridal party. You don't know when I'm coming back, but the servants who are ready, they're going to be rewarded. And I love the image he gives because this is, he says, when the master returns, he will, he will put an apron on and he will seat the servants that were ready and he will serve them. It's a lot like the last supper, right? So he tells us that, hey guys, I'm coming back again, but you guys need to be ready. He said this. He said, listen, guys, I didn't come. You, you guys think I came to bring peace? No, 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 no. I came to bring division. I came to turn father against son, mother against daughter. And, and what is he saying? He's basically telling us that like, hey, sometimes in this life, following Jesus costs us people. To truly follow God means that you're going to believe and walk in things that are opposite of what the world says. And when we value God's word, Sometimes it puts a tension between us and people that value the world over God's word. He also said this. He's like, man, if any of you are on trial, you would want to settle that account. Make sure that that's taken care of before you stand in front of a judge. And here's why. Because if you stand in front of the judge, he can rule against you and put you in debtor's prison. What is, the, that, what is he talking about there? He's saying we all have a debt. And we don't know when our time is coming. 
But the only person that could pay our debt is Jesus himself. And then last week, he basically gives two headline news stories where people just died. And he says, listen, instead of like kind of using this to, to like hug people and say, man, I'm so sorry this happens. He says, listen, if you don't repent, which means to turn back to him, he says, you too will perish. You too will perish. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. I am super excited about this week's text because Jesus is back to healing people, right? So I am so pumped about that, right? So if you guys, if you guys will stand with me for the reading of God's word, I'm going to invite my friend Dylan Cobb to come and lead us as we dive in. Good morning, everyone. So like Matt said, my name is Dylan, and I am married to Hillary, and we both together lead a high school group and city youth, and it's just a joy for us to get to be a part of the city. Um, and get to hang out with all of y'all fun people. So I'm going to start reading in verse 10. And it says, One Sabbath day, as Jesus was teaching in a synagogue, he saw a woman who had been crippled by an evil spirit. She had been bent double for 18 years and was unable to stand up straight. When Jesus saw her, he called her over and said, Dear woman, you are healed of your sickness. Then he touched her, and instantly she could stand straight. How she praised God. But the leader in charge of the synagogue was indignant that Jesus had healed her on the Sabbath day. There are six days of the week for working, he said to the crowd. Come on those days to be healed, not on the Sabbath. But the Lord replied, you hypocrites, each of you works on the Sabbath day. Don't you untie your ox or your donkey from its stall on the Sabbath and lead it out for water? This dear woman, a daughter of Abraham, has been held in bondage by Satan for 18 years. Isn't it right that she be released even on the Sabbath? This shamed his enemies, but all the people rejoiced at the wonderful things he did. Thank you, Dylan. You guys can be seated. Let's pray. So dearly, Father God, we just thank you for your word. And I pray that you would reveal yourself and challenge us this morning. It's in your name we pray. And everybody said, amen. So I'm a, I'm a quotes guy. I like quotes. I like one-liners. And I heard this quote this one time. And this is what this guy said. He said, you will misuse what you don't understand. You will misuse what you don't understand. The implications are that if you don't understand why something was created or what makes it valuable, you will misuse it, right? You won't use it, you'll abuse it. It just won't be used in the right way. So I'm gonna use a power drill, for example. Now, let me just be honest with you. I'm not Tim the Toolman Taylor. I am, I call it this, I am tool challenged, right? You don't call me if you want me to fix something. You call me if you want it broken. I am, ooh, I'm good at that. Like I am so good at breaking things, right? So here's my knowledge of a drill. Like if we're gonna use a power drill, I, I think there's two primary functions. One is it's used, obviously, to drill holes in things, right? You use a drill to drill, right? You drill holes or you use it to drill a screw into another object, right? If there's a third use for a drill, I don't know what it is. Don't judge me, okay? But have you ever been in a situation where you're maybe putting something together and, you know, you've got your drill, you don't have any other tools, and you get into the spot and you realize, hey, I don't need a drill. What I actually need is a hammer. Right. And and you what you do is instead of going to get the hammer, because that takes more time. Anybody ever use their drill as a hammer? It's OK. We can confess. OK. Anybody ever? That's not what the drill's for. Right. You if you use the drill as a hammer, there's a huge risk. One, you run the big risk of damaging or breaking the drill. Right. And if you damage or break the drill, then you have to go buy another one, which means a family meeting in which you've got to convince your wife of why you need another drill in the first place, which probably comes to the conclusion where she's like, well, why didn't you just go get the hammer? 
You know what I mean? You misuse. If you don't understand why something was made, you will misuse it. Right. And I think we're going to see that very same thing in today to in today's text. Here's the question we need to ask. What's being misunderstood? And here's how I would answer that. What matters to God? What matters to God? See, Jesus is teaching on the Sabbath. And if you're kind of like a like Bible nerd like I am, this is one of the last times that Jesus is teaching in the synagogue. Right. So he's teaching. And then we get this uh, woman. We get introduced to this new character who's a woman and she comes to the synagogue. And this is what we know about her. She is in deep, excruciating pain. The Bible says that she has been bent over double for 18 years. Here's the truth. She probably hasn't seen a sunrise in 18 years. She has been bent over because of an evil spirit. And, and I'm just going to be real. I've, I, I'm going to jump into something because I've listened to sermons. I've read sermons. I've looked at commentaries. They all hit on this point. So I'm just going to dive in and ask you to forgive me later. Okay. She's been in pain for 18 years. Where is she? The church. The church. This woman's been hurting for 18 years. She's in the church. Guess how she got there? She didn't call Uber. She didn't take a taxi. She didn't ask her 16-year-old kid to drive her. She walked to church for 18 years. She's made the conscientious decision that I'm going to go to church. Now, in one of the sermons I read, it was by Charles Spurgeon. Let me tell you how he addressed this situation. He said, I'm afraid that if any one of you, now remember, this is his church, not our church, okay? If any one of you had been in such a sad state as that, you would have said, I shall never go to the synagogue or to modernize it church anymore. And that your friends would have said, we think you had better not go. You are such an object and you are so unwell that you would be best at home. Spurgeon is talking to his church. He continues in that message to say this. He said, it's interesting how people find Sundays to be a convenient day to be to be sick. And and, uh, he says, It'd be a convenient day. Many people find it as a convenient day to sleep in, to catch up on the rest that they've neglected the rest of the week. Or uh, one of the other things he alludes to is how we talk ourselves out of church because of weather conditions. This is what he says later on in the sermon. I'm just going to read it to you. He says, it seems as though they thought that cheating God out of his day is a very small matter, but that robbing themselves of even a portion of a day would greatly grieve them. This is kind of what he's getting at. You wouldn't miss church because or work because it's raining. You know what I mean? How many, how many of us have gone to, to work and we feel like we're dying, like we're sick, but we were like, we got to muscle through. It's basically like if we get paid for it, it's valuable, but church is kind of a option. Ah, it's wet outside. Ah, I coughed this morning. Ah, I See, one thing we need to understand is church matters to God. Church matters to God. In the book of Hebrews, this is what the writer would say. He would tell them, don't stop gathering. And this is what he says, as some are in the habit of doing. Don't stop gathering as some are in the habit of doing, but find ways to encourage each other. He's not writing this because he wants a bigger church. Let me tell you what's going on. These people are being robbed for their faith. They're being beaten for their faith. They're being put on trial for their faith. The question, the purpose of the book of Hebrews is they're asking, hey, is following Jesus really worth it? Because of all the afflictions, of all the persecutions that I'm going through, like is following Jesus worth it? And in this time, it would have been easier to stay at home. 
Right? It would have been easier to believe in Jesus from my couch or from my bedroom. But this was his response. He says, no, don't stop meeting. Like you need to find ways to encourage each other, to walk out your faith, to live out your faith. And then he gives them the whole hall of faith in Hebrews chapter 11. By faith, Moses did this. By faith, Noah did this. By faith, Samson did this. Right? His response was, no, you need each other. Like if we're going to walk out this faith, we need each other. One of the reasons the church matters, one of the reasons that we're supposed to come to church is not for me, but for you. Like we gather together to encourage each other. Everybody turn to your neighbor and say, I need you. Listen, you can talk in church. We just sang songs. That was vocals coming out your mouth. Like we could talk in church. We need each other. That's how we get through this life. It may be the person down the road that needs to hear your story to get through the tough situation that they're going through. Right? It may need, may need to be you. Like as you're dealing with something, the Lord breaks you down. As somebody down the road sees you cry and they're like, the Lord has a moment with them. Right? We need each other in this moment. So this woman has been in this affliction for 18 years and she is in the best spot that she could be. Some of you, you walked in and you're hurting, you're lost, maybe your marriage is on the rocks, you're in a financial spot that you don't know how you're going to get through, and I'm telling you, you're in the best place that you could be right now, right? Why is she in the best place that she could be? Because she's going, she's in a place where she's going to hear God's word and she's surrounded by other people, right? She's surrounded by other people. I want to talk to you from a youth pastor's perspective real quick. I told you guys I'm a quotes guy. Here's a quote that is deeply affected uh, like my thinking. It says, what one generation permits, the next generation will accept. What one generation permits, the next generation will accept. You know what that means? If church is a negotiation for you, it won't be for them. If you have to talk yourself into going into your church, your your kids won't. They're just going to be like, it wasn't a value in my household. It's often our values that get passed down to our kids, not the things that we're partially committed to. Let me give you an example. I told you about how my son Juju terrorizes our, everybody in the house with that plastic bat. It's because Juju knows I love baseball. Bradley knows I love baseball. They know I, that we love church. Bradley is often dressed for church before anybody else in the house. And I've got to be here first. You know I mean, but it's a value to me. One of the things I'm partially committed to is golf. I can't tell you the last time Bradley asked me to go play golf. But the things that he knows that are valuable to me or valuable in our household He's committed to you. You want me to tell you how you can find out if you're committed to something? Ask your kids if it's a value. Ask them. Hey, by the way that we live our life, is church and Jesus a value in our household? Kids are brutally honest. They, they will tell you. But Matt, we have online church. I mean, it's post-pandemic 2022. Come on, get with the times. We've got podcasts. Okay. I'll tell you, online is a great supplement, but it can't do for you what being here in person can. Let me, let me tell you, give you kind of a story. Um, when we lived in Panhandle, one of my close friends, he was doing bodybuilding competitions, so he talked me into doing one. And li- listen, I like food. Come on. Like, Jesus loves food. He gave it to us, right? All the things. Like, he loves it. I love it. And it's hard. It was, it was a hard, uh, like, four or five months of my life. But I remember sitting down with my coach and we're talking about meal plans because it's a big part of it. You got to eat so many meals a day at a certain time period and all this other stuff. So I remember sitting down talking with him and I was like, hey, this is when I'm going to eat my meals and here's when I'm going to take shakes. And he stops me 
And this is what he says. He said, Matt, shakes are a great supplement. In fact, they're a great last resort. But shakes can't do for you what real food can do. Online is a great supplement. It's a great last resort. But it can't do for you what being in person or being a part of the local body can do for you. It can't do that. See, there's an interesting Barna statistic. But if you don't know who Barna is, they're like one of the leading researchers in like church culture, right? According to Barna, a committed Jesus follower is somebody who attends church once every six to eight weeks. That's where we are as a culture. That Bible-believing, Jesus-following Christians attend church once every six weeks. So I'm going to go back to my original quote. If we don't understand the purpose of the church and why we gather, guess what? We'll misuse it. We'll misuse it. So this woman, she walks in, and in verse 12, this is what it says. It says, Jesus saw her. He called her over, and he said, Dear woman, you're healed of your sickness. Then he touched her, and instantly she could stand straight. How she prays God. I love this. Because what happens is amazing. Notice, there's a couple things about this woman. She didn't shout out to Jesus. In fact, she's so, like, so bent over. She probably didn't even know Jesus was in the room, right? She didn't call out to Jesus, but Jesus sees her and he calls out to her, right? How many times in the book of Luke have we seen Jesus move through compassion, right? When he fed the 5,000, it says that he was moved by compassion because they looked like a, a group of sheep, a, a, a flock of sheep with no shepherd, Right. He heals other times because of his compassion. She didn't have anybody tell Jesus about her. She didn't have anybody call out on behalf of her. But she walks in this room and Jesus sees her and he heals her. And I love her response. How she praised God. Come on, church. Like how many times has God moved in our life and we forget to thank him for those things? You know what I mean? Like God, like we have this conversation with Bradley all the time. Dude, you woke up this morning. Some people didn't. Did you thank God that you woke up this morning? Some of us, we can breathe like we're breathing air and other people need help with that. Did you thank God that you can breathe, that you've got healthy lungs, that you can walk, that you can be here, that whatever. You know what I mean? It's just, I love that expression, how she praised God. Like I imagine her going crazy because of what Jesus has just done. But then things turn and it gets tense. And this is what happens. Verse 14 says, but the leader in charge of the synagogue was indignant that Jesus had healed her on the Sabbath. There are six days of the week for work. And he said to the crowd, come on those days to be healed, not on the Sabbath. But the Lord replied, replied, you hypocrites, each of you works on the Sabbath day. Don't you untie your ox or your donkey from its saw on the Sabbath and lead it out for water? This dear woman, a daughter of Abraham, everybody hold on to that, has been held in bondage by Satan for 18 years. Isn't it right that she be released even on the Sabbath? This shamed his enemies, but all the people rejoiced at the wonderful things he did. So this healing happens, right? This woman, he sees her. She's going crazy. Obviously, this is going to draw attention from the leader. And this whole thing draws a crazy response from him. Listen, she's been an assumed congregate for 18 years. Right? And she's shown up in her pain. And instead of celebrating the fact that she could stand up, he's mad because of the day that Jesus healed her on. Like an act of God just happened in his church. This person who's supposed to be leading people to God 
should be uh, aware of the things that God is doing is not. And he misses it and he's mad. So you remember our quote, right? You'll misuse what you don't understand. So let me tell you the purpose of the Sabbath. It's really simple. To rest and to trust God. The purpose of the Sabbath is to rest and to trust. You know why many of us struggle with the Sabbath, which is a commandment, by the way. It's one of the original Ten Commandments. You know why many of us struggle to rest and to trust God? It's this word called control. We're afraid that if we let go, the world's going to stop spinning. But it's when we let go that we see God is actually in control and that God is God. Right? The purpose of the Sabbath is for us to rest and to let go. It's for us to rest and to trust God. And Jesus even said, he said, man was made for the Sabbath or Sabbath was made for man. The original intention of the Sabbath was made for humanity, not man for the Sabbath. Right. So the, the Sabbath was never supposed to be this hard thing to follow. It was never supposed to be a burden, but the religious leaders had added so many rules to the Sabbath that it became a burden. So the leader has this problem with Jesus because according to the rules, Jesus has violated those. And what's really funny is, did you notice that that this leader's beef is with Jesus, right? He never addressed Jesus. He spoke to the crowd. It's like the first biblical sign of passive aggressive. Like if you're wondering if passive aggressive is in the Bible, it's this dude right here. He doesn't talk to Jesus. Jesus is probably right here. And I imagine just looking at everybody. "Mm, Listen, if you want to be healed, there's six other days for that. You come on those days. On the Sabbath. uh -uh. And if I'm there, I'm like, bro, you're out of your mind. Like God just did something crazy. Well, Jesus, notice Jesus doesn't do what he does. Jesus doesn't talk back to the crowd. Jesus turns to that guy. (laughs) He says, listen, you're a hypocrite. He said, and I love this. He says, you would untie your donkey on the Sabbath to lead it to water. He says, but this woman has been, and it's, it's a similar word. She's been tied up for 18 years. Shouldn't she be untied as well? Like you're a hypocrite because you're supposed to be taking care of God's flock. You're supposed to be leading his people. But here's a moment where you have an opportunity to, and you won't because of the rules, but you would untie your donkey You would lead your donkey to water, right? Here's the other thing that we need to see is that people matter to God. People matter to God. Jesus calls them out because their rules allow them to water their animals on the Sabbath, but they can't take care of the people that they were supposed to be leading. You know what I mean? Jesus' point is this, and I want you to catch it. Hear what I'm saying, not what I'm not saying. People are more important than animals, and he echoes this. A couple of weeks ago, Jesus teaches about wealth and the people that he's teaching is worried about food and what they're going to wear. And he, uh, the scene is so beautiful because Jesus is surrounded by all these people. And I imagine this raven flying by and he says, hey, look at the ravens. He says, they don't, they don't plant, they don't harvest, they don't store and God takes care of them. He says, and you are more important than the ravens. You're more, listen, can I, can I just tell you something I do when I'm reading the Bible? If I see a UR statement, I underline it. Because they're identity statements where the Bible's showing us exactly how God sees us. You are important to God. The animals that fly, the birds that fly in the skies, God takes care of them. They're not worried about food. He says, you're more important than they are. Now, maybe you're here and you love animals and you're like, mm, I don't know. Listen, I love animals too. Like we started our family with a dog because we figured if we can keep a dog alive, we could do kids, right? I'm just telling you. 
We love our dog. His name's Sky. The Bible tells us in Proverbs, which is wisdom literature, to take care of your animals. Like, God, does God care about animals? Yes. But who did he die for? People. He died for people. And then Jesus says something else that we need to pay attention to. He says this. He calls her a daughter of Abraham. Daughter of Abraham. What does this mean? That this lady is a part of the promise to Abraham. She's a part of the covenant. In fact, her role is extremely interesting. This is what James R. Edwards says. This is, this is huge. People with physical deformities were expected to remain socially invisible. Basically, if you walked in, you had a deformity, you were supposed to hang out in the background. You weren't supposed to be seen. Especially if they were women. Women rarely, if ever, approached rabbis, nor did rabbis, this blows my mind, as a rule. Like it was a rule. Rabbis, as a rule, did not speak with women. So at this point, this woman's got everything working against her. Right. She should have been seen because she's bent over double. She's got a physical deformity and a rabbi. The rabbi was never going to approach her because she was a woman. And Jesus does both. Right. Jesus does both. He sees her. He heals her. And he recognizes that she or women in general are a part of God's promises. And he does it publicly. Right. You see, a similar situation is going to happen in the next chapter. In chapter 14, verse one through six, this is what it says. It says, one Sabbath day, Jesus went to eat dinner in the home of a leader of the Pharisees, and the people were watching him closely. There was a man there whose arms and legs were swollen. So Jesus asked the Pharisees and the expert in the religious law, is it permitted in the law to heal people on the Sabbath day or not? When they refused to answer, Jesus touched the sick man, healed him and sent him away. And then he turned to them and said, which of you doesn't work on the Sabbath? Same thing they said, right? Hypocrites. If your son or your cow falls into a pit, don't you rush to get him out? Again, they couldn't answer. Now, let me tell you how I see this situation. We have a one-year-old at home. His name is Julius. Julius, when we do dinner, we like to try to do dinner together at the table. So we'll all sit at the table. We put Juju in his high chair. But one-year-olds have a tendency to take their food and what? Drop it off the high chair. You ever been in a situation where you told your one-year-old, Juju, you better not do that again. And what do they do? Grab it, stare at you, and drop the food, right? They do that, right? That's how I see this situation happening right here. Jesus is literally in the house of the religious leaders. And it says that they're watching him. This is like an investigator watching somebody, right? They're watching him to create this case against him. So there's this man that walks in and he's swollen. And Jesus says, hey, is it okay by your law to heal on the Sabbath? This is the fourth time that Jesus is going to heal somebody on the Sabbath. By four times, Jesus is well aware of their laws and he's well aware of their stance. So he knows that by their rules, it's not okay. So insert Juju, this swollen man, right? Is it okay to heal on the Sabbath? He knows the answer is no in their mind. They don't say anything. And he goes, got him healed. You know what I mean? Like he heals this guy on the Sabbath, right? And then he turns to them and he says the same thing. He says, listen, if your son or your cow was trapped in a pit, would you not go get them? He says, you work, you too, work on the Sabbath. But here's kind of the main idea I want us to catch today. And it's that our values need to match his values. Our values need to match his values. You see, the religious leaders were so committed to rules that they missed out on what truly matters to God. God. 
You know I mean? They, they were so, this is crazy. They were supposed to be the ones that were closest to God. And realistically, the laws, those rules were supposed to point people to God. But they were so focused on keeping these rules that they missed out on what matters to God. Do you remember when Jesus was dishing out woes? Look at what it says. Here's one of them. It says, what sorrow awaits you experts in the religious law? For you remove the key to knowledge from the people. You don't enter the kingdom yourselves and you prevent others from entering. Come on, that blows my mind. Because again, these were the people that were supposed to know God and to take people to him. They were supposed to know God's heart and share that with their community, share, share that with the people in their synagogue. And because they didn't, because they didn't value what God values, they actually were keeping people from the kingdom of God. And here's the danger that we need to pay attention to. That if we don't value what God values, we have the potential to do the same. We have the potential to do the same. You know, looking at this, I, I read it and I'm like, man, too many times we are just like these religious leaders. You're like, well, what do you mean? Well, church is an option right? The Bible is something we go to occasionally. Ran across this, this, this statistic this week that 8% of students look at their Bible one time a month. 8% of students look at, like middle school, high school students look at their Bible one time a month. But as adults, like how much different is it for us? So church is an option. The Bible is something we run to occasionally and prayer is typically a last resort. Why? Well, because we've replaced what God values with what we value, and then we ask God to bless it. Come on, how many times in our life have we known God called us to go this way? And we're like, ah, I don't know, Jesus, I like this way more. This pays better. The, route, the, the road to, to success is faster, quicker, higher. Can you just bless what I want, Jesus? To, to be a Jesus follower, you actually have to follow him. Right? The greatest evidence of a Jesus follower is that they follow Jesus. And when we follow Jesus, it's when we see what matters most to God. I mean, think about it this way. John 10, 10 says that Jesus, Jesus says this. He says, I came to give life and what? Life to the full. I came to give life and life abundantly. And here's what we need to understand. That's not just later. That is here and still yet to come. Life and life to full comes the moment we say yes to Jesus and it's there for eternity. But we need to understand that you only experience life to the full by doing life God's way, by valuing what he values. It's not you do you, boo. It's committing to the things that matter to God. It's committing to the local church because God has chose the church to advance his kingdom. Right? It's because God has created this body of believers who would encourage each other, spur each other on, meet with each other, dive into God's word, and then go out into the world and share that word. God chose the church. It matters to him. He died for the church. It matters to him. It's by committing to his word because the Bible says that the word is sharper than any two-edged sword. What does that mean? It sharpens the things in our life that needs to be sharpened, but it cuts out the things in our life that needs to be cut out. And maybe you're here and you're like, Matt, I just don't understand it. 
I get that, but I can't tell you, I can't name one person who's read the Bible their very first time and caught everything. It's the more that we read the word, the more it starts to reveal itself, the more it starts to to show us where we're wrong and how much God loves us in the things and areas that we need to change. But even still, here's what I would tell you. Find somebody that you can ask questions. Right? If you've got a question about that passage, somebody else probably does too. And the only reason we don't ask for help is we're ashamed of not knowing the answer. You're not the only one. You're not. And here's what we need to understand too, is even if it is tough to understand, it could still make a difference. I'll show you how. Who can tell me what they had for lunch on January 14th last month? Nobody, unless you got a special app, okay? You can't tell me what you had for lunch, but I can tell you that that food that you ate for lunch that day still nourished you. The Bible does the exact same thing. You read it, you may not understand it, but it will still nourish you. And it may be later on that it reveals what that was about. You mean, when I think about the word, one of my favorite texts is in Joshua chapter one. Joshua's just taken over. Moses has passed away. And this is what God tells them. He's like, you're going to lead them to the promised land. And he says this, meditate on my word. Let me, let me tell you something. Biblical meditation is not earthly meditation. Earthly meditation is clear your mind. Biblical meditation is fill your mind. Fill your, fill your mind with my word and be sure to do it. And he says this, don't turn to the left and don't turn to the right. One of the themes that is consistent throughout the Bible is that salvation comes down a narrow path. Jesus said that, what? Enter through the narrow gate. They had just gone through what? The Red Sea. They're about to pass through the Jordan River. And the language is the same as when they pass through the Red Sea. Don't turn to the left or to the right. Make sure to do his word. And this is what he says. You'll be successful in all that you do. That is a promise. James chapter three or James chapter one, he echoes the same thing. He says, listen, don't just be hearers of the word, but be doers. For a hearer is somebody who hears the word. It's like they get dressed in the morning and then they go out and they forget what they look like. How many of you understand that the Bible reveals man's original intention for why God created us? When we dive in the word, the Bible shows us who we're supposed to be. And if we just hear it, but never do it, it's like we go out and we forget what God says. He says, but a doer who looks into the perfect law of freedom, the the law of freedom is the word. The Bible is a unified story that points to Jesus, right? That's the ultimate freedom. He says, but a doer is somebody that looks into the law of freedom and they put it to practice and they're persistent in it. He says this, they will be blessed in what they do. Be blessed in what they do. So it's, it's when we commit to the local church, which God values, that is made up of people, which God also values. It's it, when we do that, that we realize that we're actually committing to something bigger than ourselves. We're committing to something bigger than ourselves and that it's in that plan that leads to life and life to the full. And it's in that plan that we become the blessing to the nations that the church was originally designed to be. So I wanna close by asking some questions. Do you value what God values? Do you value what God values? Matt, how do I tell? Uh, There's a couple things. Where do you spend most of your time? Time is a great revealer of values. Where do you spend your money? Ask your kids. I mean, do you value 
what God values. Does the church matter to you? I'm not just talking about this church. I'm talking about like the body of Christ. Does the local church matter to you? Is gathering with other believers a value in your household? Do people matter to you? I mean, do you see the broken? Do you see the oppressed? Do you see the left out? Do you see people who think differently than you, look differently than you, vote differently than you, tweet differently than you? Do you see those people, love them and serve them? Because we're called to. I wanna go back to this lady just for a little bit though. This lady has been in church for at least the last 18 years. She's probably her whole life. She's heard the Bible readings. She's done the traditions. But she didn't get healed until she came to Jesus. Y'all catch that? Her freedom or her salvation from that affliction didn't happen until she came to Jesus. And maybe some of you walked in today and that's where you are. You're hurting. Your marriage is on the rocks. You're in a financial situation that you don't know how you're going to get out. You're lost. You're caught in an addiction or you're caught in a lie. I'm here to tell you that the only place that you're going to find that healing, that salvation is through Jesus himself. And he sees you. Remember, that woman wasn't supposed to be seen, but Jesus saw her and he called her. I'm telling you, if you walked in and you're in those situations I'm tell- that, that I just listed, God sees you and he's calling you. And this is what it means. Like if we say, if you're here and you're like, man, I want Jesus, I want Jesus. This is what we say. This is what we're affirming is that we messed up. Let me tell you, this is the good news. We messed up. That doesn't sound like good news, but I'll get there. We messed up and you can't earn your way back to God. It's not do better, try harder. But God so loved the world that he sent his son who left heaven and came to live the perfect life. 100% God, 100% man did nothing wrong, never sinned, loved people, taught people, healed people. But we put him on a cross and he wore the sins of humanity. But three days later, he rose from the grave and is seated at the right hand of the Father. And Paul says this in Romans, he says, if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, that you'll be saved. And if that's you, we want to celebrate that moment with you. There's a QR code, scan that, fill out our connect form. Let us know because that is the single greatest decision that you can ever make in your life. It has eternal consequences. Well, I ask you guys to stand as we get ready to worship. I want to pray that God would challenge our values, that we would take a step back and say, God, do I see what you see? Do I value what you value? Because what we don't understand will misuse. So dearly Father God, we just thank you for this time that we can gather and dive into your word and, and worship you, God. And I pray that you would challenge us this morning, that we would take a step back. God, I thank you for texts like Hebrews chapter 10, God, because the writer's not writing because he wants a bigger church. He's writing because he knows that the only way that they're going to make it through is by standing together, by locking shields. God, I pray that we would value these moments where we can lock shields, where we can encourage each other, 
where we can sing about the great things that you've done together. God, throughout scripture, it was often a response of your people to sing as a nation about the mighty works of God. But God, I pray that we would value people, even those we struggle with the most. God, your word tells us that our battle is not against flesh and blood. God, help us see people, help us love people, and ultimately help us live like you so that we can show them who you are. God, we love you. It's in your name we pray. And everybody say, amen.